Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. Back again, it's me, Chris, and I'm here with Patrick. Hey. And Steven. Hey, I'm back. We brought him back. We we killed the nine people, we took nine <laughs> lives, and we resurrected Steven. Steven, have you learned your lesson about the next time you go to a funeral? Uh, no. Um, I, I greatly enjoyed listening to you guys talk about Pog Pog Nine Lives, but I could not pass uh, even a two-question quiz on what that movie's about after listening to it. It sounds pretty wild. I know there's a lot of rules about funerals, and you, you can't, uh, you can't go to a funeral. Okay, let's try this. You can't go to a funeral with an open wound. Yes. That's the yep. one I remember yep. the most. Yeah. Um, you can't cry into the grave. Yeah, that's enough. one right. Close enough. Close enough. You, on the coffin. You, but, on the coffin. On the on the coffin. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're in the grave, it's probably going to hit the coffin. We'll give you uh, a pass. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, that's two out of nine. So that's a solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. D. That's like that's a meatloaf song, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, two out of that, nine ain't bad. That uh, there's so many new rules in that movie. I thought it was written by Bill Maher. Ooh. Oh. So many new rules in that movie. I thought it was written by Christopher Nolan. Ah, womp womp. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, this week we dusted ourselves off of uh, Pog Pog and we watched Population Four Hundred Thirty Six. Uh, I picked that at the end of the last episode because it resonated strongly with a movie concept that I had myself long ago, since mm-hmm. forgotten. Uh, but before we get into talking about that, let's, you know, do a little horror catch up and talk about what else we might have consumed in the last couple of weeks that was horror related that our fans might want to hear about. Uh, anyone want to begin? I, I got a couple. You know, I'd rather be doing a podcast about every horror movie on Shudder. So I caught up with their two. Uh, I'm just kidding. I, I love doing this show. Yeah, you get the, the you get the fuck but, out then. <laughs> you go find some people to do that show. What the hell, man? <laughs> no, um, I did watch a couple of their new kind of big releases that have come out over the summer. Both of which left me kind of lukewarm, but I, I'm not. I don't regret seeing them one is the boy behind the door which has gotten a lot of press i don't know if you guys have heard of it i didn't know anything going in did not expect it to be a movie that is ostensibly about child sex trafficking it doesn't go there like when i say that you're imagining all kinds of horrible things in your mind that you don't want to see i'm imagining hillary clinton and a pizza place <laughs> Uh, I, <laughs> it's got a little bit of that energy about halfway through, and maybe that's what's wrong with it. it, it um, but it was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a cool movie, at least to see like two like really young kid actors doing great performances. And, you know, Ebert and Siskel would hate it because it's all about children in peril. But ostensibly, um, these two, two boys are out playing, I think, after baseball practice. One of them is abducted, and the other goes after him. They both wind up in this kind of creepy house on the edge of town they don't know what's going on um one of them is locked in a trunk the other is locked up inside the house the guy who abducted them doesn't 
anticipate that the kid who gets locked up in the trunk is going to get out and get into the house and try and save his friend. And we get a little bit of the kind of periphery of what might be going on in this house and why they've abducted these kids. But thank God we don't see anything or, or even hear anything intimated. And it's, it's a a story of survival that kind of goes off the rails. Once a really cartoonish unexpected villain is introduced um, maybe uh, halfway through the film, but it, it was pretty fun and, and kind of daring. I'd, I'd be curious to see what the director does next. And then I watched Jacob's Wife, the new movie with Barbara Crampton and Larry Fessenden. Is that a sequel to Jacob's Ladder? <laughs> I wish. I wish. This is uh, so. I watched it with a friend that I thought even from the poster, it's a monster movie. But I'm not going to say what kind of monster it is because I watched this with a friend who had heard of it, who didn't know going in. I thought it was obvious, but apparently not. So there might be a little bit of fun to be had if you go in blind. Um, but Bar- Barbara Crampton is kind of a subdued housewife with a preacher husband, played by Larry Fessenden. Who I, I don't know if you guys know him, but he's been in the horror indie horror scene for decades. He's a really charming, creative guy and a really great actor and of course we love barbara crampton and uh, something happens to her and their marital dynamic uh, changes drastically and it becomes a horror movie i did find it to be a little bit kind of undercooked but the performances are great i think it's 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 a lot of fun if you're not expecting too much but uh interestingly enough that was kind of shutter's big tentpole release for the summer you know not too impressive to me but Others might enjoy it. I don't know. Patrick, do you have anything? I have been voraciously consuming and, and recently finished uh, something that you recommended to me quite a while ago, Stephen, and in fact loaned to me back around Christmas. I finished reading Mallory O'Meara or O'Mara's book, uh, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, or The Woman oh, from the yes. Black Lagoon. I forget if it's Lady the, or Woman. The Lady from the yeah, Black Lady Lagoon. from the yeah, Black yeah. Lagoon, which is um, this really fascinating kind of, I mean, it is a biography of uh, Millicent Patrick, who most notably, I guess, designed the creature from the Black Lagoon in the original uh, film of the same name, but also was uh, an actor, an artist, a socialite, a million other things. She has this uh, incredibly rich, lived this incredibly rich life. And Mallory O'Meara painstakingly, exhaustively researched Millicent Patrick's life, which there were very few tidbits about her out there and kind of mm-hmm. stitched it all together into this really, really compelling book that also weaves in uh, Mallory's own experience uh, in the film industry and why Millicent Patrick meant so much to her and the story of tracking down all this information, tying it all very much into how the struggle that Millicent Patrick faced in the film industry back in her day is not all that different from the struggle that women still face getting into the film industry today. Um, It was just a really compelling, funny, smart, again, exhaustively researched read. And I blew right through that in a few days. So highly recommend it. And thank you, Stephen, for recommending it to me. Chris, any news to share from you? Well, I uh, watched Get Out again, uh, Mm. which is still a perfect film. And Mm -hmm. I dipped back into the Telltale Lilac Bush and other West Virginia ghost tales, a little book I picked up in a interpretive center in the mountains of West Virginia and dip into from time to time. But they all suck, man. It's like... (laughs) 
Like it's it's uh I think the book is compiled by like a a an academic who's kind of taking a folklorist approach and going around and actually collecting like word of mouth ghost stories from like mm-hmm. old people in West Virginia. But like half these stories are like some sort of creature, you know, killed a sheep and uh we shot at it and it was never heard from again. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh so a little bit of disappointing, but I I, I like uh reading, you know, because I've I've read scary stories to tell in the dark front to back about five hundred times. So I need some new short story uh, spooky tale books to read at night. So if you're out there and you're listening and you have some good recommendations for, you know, some bite-sized ghost stories uh, that are good, let me know. Let me know what book to get. Hey, you know, I want to say something at the top of the cast today before we get into the movie. I'm going to say something that we often say before we go down to the spoiler room, but it's on my mind this week. You know what? If you're listening and you love every horror movie on Netflix, go leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice. Because you know what? We have 4.4 out of 5 stars on Apple Podcasts right now, and it's really chapping my gam. So get out there, leave us a nice review. Get us up to like 4.5. I'll take 4.5. Yeah, what is, the, what is this pitchfork shit? I want round numbers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And right now, if you rounded, we'd be at 4 out of 5 stars, which just not acceptable. I mean, it's better than Steven's score on remembering funeral superstitions but it's Mm -hmm. it's still still not quite where we want to be so go leave us a nice review if you if you like us and you enjoy what you're hearing all right guys well let's move on to what we watched this week for the show we watched population 436 a canadian film from the year 2006 directed by one michelle mclaren and uh with some familiar faces such as jeremy sisto from uh suicide kings (laughs) Yes, that's how I know him. <laughs> Fuck. Oh wow. I know yeah. him from six feet under. Yeah, I thought I was like, oh that that he we know him from TV, right? But no, I know him from Suicide Kings. He's the uh heroin addicted medical student. Fantastic. Thank you, Steven. I still haven't seen the movie, but we know Fred Durst uh from Limp Biscuit. Um Well who's back in the Zeitgeist improbably. <laughs> yeah. You know, Fred Durst is is has suddenly become a household name to a new generation. He and his goatee. We've got uh, Peter Outerbridge, who plays the insurance executive in Saw 6. He stars as a deputy. I missed him. I'm just reading off Wikipedia to tell you that information. But Population 436, a real simple story, guys. Uh, There's a census taker, and he's investigating why some town in the middle of nowhere that has a eerie sort of timeless quality where everyone is is perfect and everything is idyllic and everyone's kind of weird and and very uh, uh, hospitable. Uh, The population of this town has remained at 430. 36 for like a hundred years what's going on so as our what's hero, up what's up with that jeremy sisto investigates he begins to find out that you know maybe there's some dark reasons why the population has stayed at 436 and if you're curious like i mean for my money if you want to know the details of what's going on in this town you could probably skip the first <laughs> hour and a half <laughs> this movie. No, no, it's only an hour and a half movie, but if you know the premise of this movie, you know more than you will know for the first 45 minutes of the movie, and that kind of bothered me. 
You mean in the sense that you know that the population is 436. Doesn't it seem like they could have or should have held that information back? Like you find out that the population has stayed at 436, I don't know, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes into the movie. And that could have some creep factor, I guess, except that you basically already know that's coming because it's the literal title of the movie. Literal title, I mean, I think the one of the first shots, or not the first shot, but the end of the first sequence, you see the sign hanging there with the population 436. I don't know. Right. I mean, I think they needed to have a motivation for this census taker to be visiting a small town on a non-census year and doing this special investigation. So I, I, I can't really think of a better way to deal with this premise. Oh, so that's why he goes there in the first place. I thought that he kind of figured it out as he was going along because he's like filling in numbers in his book and he's got, oh, here's this year, that's 436. And then 1970, whatever was 436. It seems like he's slowly piecing it together. There's missing data, oh, I think, okay. is the issue. Like, the the Census Bureau is missing data on this town. So he goes there and wants to see the, the physical records, which I don't know how the census works, but I don't feel like the town would have the physical records of every Look, census that was taken. No, no, no. Here's what he's doing. <laughs> so the census only happens every 10 years. So right. he knows that, you know, for the last 100 years, every 10th year, the population has been 436. Oh, he's filling the blanks. So they're like, that must be an error. And the census yeah. guy doesn't, he doesn't even care to fill in the blanks, but I think he's trying to put together uh, some sort of tr- paper trail of what's happening with the births and deaths to yeah, m- yeah. verify that it's 436 or figure out where the discrepancies are so that they can make sure that, you know, I don't know, the, 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 area they, they know how to gerrymander the the town i guess <laughs> exactly yeah. well okay let me ask you this question then because this didn't really occur to me until now do you think going in he expects or anticipates some kind of foul play does he think the town is like hiding something because i didn't really gather that from him either no which maybe would have made the movie more interesting and also probably you know 45 minutes as opposed to 90 minutes if that had been the case I wish. I mean, that would have added some drama and conflict before the midpoint of the movie. And and there's really not any. We just kind of see this man stumbling through town. You know what movie? You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of Amnesiac. Uh, mm. because only instead of like just walking around for an hour and a half, like opening and closing doors, he's just walking around talking to like weird people. <laughs> and that's that. It's very kind of formless. There's not really a lot driving the, the the plot. Eventually, you get some good scenes, but like like I said, it's like, man, here's a guy. He's in a town. The population's at 436, and there's not really a reason to care about anything that's going on for a good 45 minutes, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, I agree. There are a couple of like key subplots, I guess I would say. You've got. He has a romance going on with a woman who he meets almost as soon as he gets to the town. Bit of a love triangle there because the police officer played by Fred Durst, with whom Jeremy Sisto strikes up a fairly friendly relationship, is also in love with the same woman. So there's a little love triangle thing going on there. Yeah, yeah. And we've also got some running business about how people in town have been afflicted by a fever, as they describe it. And... I just spoke that in a way that suggests there's shady business afoot. And you can pretty clearly tell there's shady business afoot with the fever. So also, again, no spoilers there. 
But we, I mean, we get the, all the hallmarks of shady business. First of all, we know from like the cold open of the movie that like someone's born, someone dies. Yeah. And then you see, you know, some rituals with a bunch of, you know, the mayor and the cops and, and the townsfolk and they're chanting and they're saying weird stuff and they're having like a lottery and you're like, ah, okay. So they, there's some reason why they're keeping the town at 436. In a movie like this, I'm more interested in what's going on than I am interested in why. Mm-hmm. And for this movie to basically tell you exactly what's happening in that that cold open sequence with the birth and the death as someone's trying to escape town, it really took a lot of air out of this for me. You know, unless we're going to get a really good, interesting, like Lovecraftian explanation for what's behind this. And I mean, spoilers, I, I didn't feel that we did. That opening sequence was crazy. I lost my mind during that. We have rapidly intercut with each other a sequence of a man fleeing town in a truck and being pursued again by Officer Fred Durst, uh, intercut with scenes of a baby being born. And I don't know, maybe I'm just dense. I hadn't quite connected it at that early stage, but I was like, why am I being shown these two things? And I guess it especially felt odd because it's not like the guy fleeing town is murdered or anything. He just happens to like run his truck off the road and then I guess die in the crash. So there's not even, you don't even necessarily get the sense of like this intentional sort of like malevolent balancing of the scales. It's more, it more has the sense of an accident that happens to coincide with a childbirth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On the bright side, it's basically the only pregnancy slash childbirth I've ever seen in a horror movie that goes well and has a happy baby. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this whole thing to me, it, it was funny because at some point I thought this just feels like kind of a mediocre x-files episode like there's there's a thought the same damn thing there's the same thing too there's a crazy cold open there's a town where kind of some weird things are going on it's not the most compelling mystery you kind of know where it's going and i was just like i just want Mulder and scully here to liven things up and it turns out that the director michelle mclaren has actually directed an episode of x-files and has also been a co-executive producer of like 47 episodes of x-files so my my hunch was correct i guess it does feel a little bit like an x-file based on the the plot and based on the production value where it really feels like a a made for tv movie um more so than even a a straight to video movie but let me tell you if you if you're looking for some x-files where they they go to a town <laughs> with a secret that are better than Probably this. Probably a few, I'm guessing. Yeah, there's a few. I would say you should watch Our Town. Yep. I would say you should watch Road Runners, which is, I think, very similar to this, but has an amazing creature at the end, which this movie Oh, this did needed not. a creature. This needed mm-hmm. a creature. I agree. And then um, you should also watch uh, Red Museum, I think, well, from season two, perhaps. Well, this also reminded me strongly of Dehan de Verlets or whatever that's called. Oh yeah, a little bit, yeah. With the with the satanic PTO, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that's so go watch the X Files. That's that's four hours <laughs> worth of X Files that you could watch and have a great time with. <laughs> so I mean, uh, I guess I'm gonna give this movie its flowers because we haven't given okay. it many so far. And you know, Let's some flowers. I'm gonna give those flowers to one Frederick Durst who. You know, 
no no great love for this man for any other reason prior to seeing this movie but i was like all right you know what this guy's giving a pretty credible natural performance i believed the character he was a hell of a lot better than jeremy sisto my god uh i i was surprised and impressed and surprised to be impressed by fred durst in this movie He's he's not given he's not a terribly complex character, but no. I found him immediately charming, yeah, and consistently throughout throughout the film, and and intense finally when he needs to be in a way that didn't have that kind of douchebag bravura of Limp Bizkit mm-hmm. that I was expecting from his performance. I thought like, wow, the the guy can act. I yeah. mean, maybe on TV, not not in a film necessarily, but I I was I was impressed. Yeah, yeah, the. The performance has empathy and sensitivity and a little bit of depth. I was surprised. Yeah, it turns out he's a great director as well. <laughs> he film The Fanatic with John Travolta Did and Devin Sawa. That? Did yes. he direct that? I've heard yes. nothing but great things about that it's movie. It's a hoot. It is an oh, absolute wow. hoot. I have not oh, wow. seen it, but I've heard it's pretty bad. Well, God bless him. Speaking of John Travolta, Jeremy Sisto looks almost exactly like John Travolta. What? You don't you didn't I, you don't see it? I can't follow you there. Oh, well, I You go there alone. Allison was Allison was all with me on this, but Wait, which Allison we Allison with a Y was like uh-huh. he looks like a more handsome or less weird looking John Travolta. I forget the specific descriptor used, but yeah. Huh. Well, maybe you should watch Suicide Kings. What the fuck does that have to do with literally anything other than you being always obsessed with Suicide Kings? Because Jeremy Sisto is in Suicide Kings, so you could get another look at him. Oh, I watched <laughs> I watched five seasons of Six Feet Under with him in though. I don't need any more looks at that era of Jeremy Sisto. All right, All right fine. Is that the only era of Jeremy Sisto? Does he is he still around? Like I have never heard of this guy until I saw this. I mean this this movie is heard of this pretty recent, right? 2006 oh oh six all right okay yeah never mind yeah maybe he's not still around well that's interesting because you know i was looking at this movie and i was trying to tell like is this a period piece what's going on because like the (laughs) town has this timeless quality where like the cars are from the you know 80s or early 90s and then everyone walks around like it's a greenfield village which i don't know if our listeners know what greenfield village is but if you live in michigan you know that greenfield village is a offshoot of the henry ford museum where they have taken historical uh buildings well how would you describe it patrick you you, you might be the expert in that that topic <laughs> i have no idea why i would be the expert in that topic but by blood dude. you've <laughs> had relatives who have have tended the horses oh, that, yes village. that's true that's true no yeah the greenfield village is this insane project of henry ford's where he decided to pick up famous historical buildings from around the country dismantle them basically brick by brick and then reassemble them and put them all together in this village so you can go to the shop where the Wright brothers invented the airplane and right down the street is Thomas Edison's Menlo Park laboratory it's all there and it's yeah. the inspiration for M Night Shyamalan's The Village. I think Henry Ford wanted to wanted to keep white people from being victims of modern crimes. So he created this <laughs> <laughs> antiquated setting and convinced them that 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 was reality. I mean, that um, would be right up Henry Ford's alley. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen The Village, but oh, I also I got heavy heavy The Village vibes from this movie. Yeah. I also wanted that kind of twist somewhere in here to spice things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean at. There's there's like a little 
like curly headed moppet like the the white mr bonku essentially like bicycling around this village and he's always wearing suspenders obi. yeah obi he's always wearing suspenders and i was just like at one point i was like why is this child wearing suspenders why is everyone like dressed up like it's the 17 slash 1800s well it's because they've been i mean they're all convinced that this is they're kind of i mean i don't know if this gets into spoiler territory or not but the, the, I, i'll say they're they're convinced that this is the best way of life this is what has worked this is what has kept us safe this is what keeps us happy and away from harm so they've just never adapted to modern society yeah they have people who bring in their you know supplies for the you know the the grain mills and whatever the fuck else they have to do to live off the land um but those people have their own road that they take in and they just drop the shit off and leave and they don't ask questions mhm so i think they're 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 trapped in time in a in a sort of way mhm but i had a i had a real hard time watching most of this movie <laughs> oh yeah and and it's like the, the first half of this movie is just like you take Jeremy Sisto and he goes to someone who's like, you know, making muffins or like peeling apples. And he's like, so, uh, yeah. And he's like, I guess, ostensibly asking census questions. And they're like, I'm 64 years old. I've lived in Rockwood Falls my entire life. And he's like, Rockwell, oh, Rockwell. What did I say? Rockwood. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he says something like, yeah, what can you tell me about this other family? And they're, and they're like, oh, no, they, they got the fever. I got to go. And then he like goes to the next house and has the same conversation with somebody else. And like, oh, they got the fever. They, you might have to ask the mayor about that. And then he goes and asks the mayor. And he's like, hey, yep, they got the fever. It was terrible. <laughs> It was, I just can't. I can't go for that. No can no do. can do. Yeah, it's a little too procedural. I mean, in a way that feels like a TV episode stretched out to an hour and a half. Like, we, we could have used maybe one of those encounters and maybe like a very brief one afterward. And that's all we need to know. It's all we need to see. But it felt mm-hmm. like padding in that, that middle section. Mm-hmm. Well, are we stretching out this episode in similar fashion? Should we review it? <laughs> I think I think we might have to go to the spoiler room a little bit early just because there's it's so hard to talk about this movie until we can talk about like what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got nothing else to say. I guess this this movie was a this movie was a fucking sleeper. I'll review it. I'll review, review it. it. All right, let's do it, it, baby. I'm gonna give it a screw it. And what? It it might be. <laughs> <laughs> it it's one of the worst movies I've watched for this show. Wow. I hate to say it. I usually I think of like the most like 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 Be Afraid was like one of the worst movies I think I'd watched on this show. I would watch Be Afraid 20 times before <laughs> I watch this movie again. Give me Shadow People. Give me like, you know, whatever else happened in Be Afraid. Give me give me a scene with a woman in a bathtub and like she's kind of half falls asleep and she puts her head in the water and goes, huh, and then there's like a shadow, like a hand on, on, over the edge of the tub that we see yeah. in like every other movie. Give me that scene. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to see Jeremy's sister going around talking to like mute kids in overalls <laughs> on a tricycle <laughs> for 45 minutes before anything happens. 
and the the cinematography was terrible. I can sometimes good cinematography will will bail out a movie for me a little bit because at least things look interesting or look pretty. But this was just like they took their mini DV camera and <laughs> default settings and went to some sun drenched village and shot it for TV. I I I can't fuck with this movie. The back half was more enjoyable because things actually start happening and some people die and there's some there are some very good moments there is one moment in particular that will be burned into my mind until i die but oh wow not worth it not worth it screw it patrick i'm so curious to know what the moment was that was burned into your head until you die but yeah it's a screw it for me as well i I don't think that's any surprise it was quite dull i will admit it did not fully captivate me the first time around, by which I mean I got super distracted and was looking at my phone and other things while I was watching it. So I actually went back and revisited portions that I had been checked out for before we did this episode. Didn't add anything to my experience or change my my views on this one. The only thing I'll give a pass, which I've referenced already, is Fred Durst's performance. And you know what? God damn it. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I want to see Fred Durst acting other things now. I'm like, was this just a one-time fluke or is Fred Durst a good actor? I want to know. He's been in other shit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wondered the same thing. I'd rather see him act than see him reprise Limp Biscuit with a stunt, <laughs> you know, dad rock costume. Yeah. Yeah. Even though that was, you know, kind of kind of charming in its own way. Um Holy shit, he has 40 acting credits in IMDb. Wow. <laughs> a lot of them are music videos, but... Uh, I got work to do. <laughs> it's time to watch every Limp Biscuit movie ever. <laughs> or ever, every Fred Durst movie ever. <laughs> New podcast. <laughs> what is your rating, Steven? Um, you know, I'll give it a screw up. I feel like that just goes without saying. But I will say, I've been under a lot of stress lately. And I found this movie to be oddly calming. Just engaging enough. I wasn't checking my phone during it. I mean, I, I like, I just, it kind of lulled me into complacency. And I, with, you know, I think there's the tease that maybe there's going to be some greater threat. I was getting like Lovecraft vibes early on. You know, maybe there's, you know, they, they, there's some kind of, you know, cosmic demon behind all this, whatever. Of course, that doesn't pay off. Um, but I didn't hate it. I felt like for a middle-of-the-road, straight-to-video movie with a surprise Fred Durst performance, it was about as good as I could expect it to be. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, but I don't regret having seen it. If anything, it inspired me to want to write more. You know, it's one of those Mm. movies where I was like, oh, there's like a germ of an idea here that I want to turn into something else. Unfortunately, Chris has already gotten to that, apparently. Um, But maybe I can finish my screenplay before he can. Yeah, I found it inspirational as well, because I like I abandoned that idea a while ago because I was like, this idea just doesn't have legs. Wait, what was your idea? About the Scarecrow Festival. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. Census taker investigating discrepancies, but he finds out that they're turning people into scarecrows. Yeah, which is much more interesting. I was like, that's not good, but it would have been better than this, so... That idea is is kind of a stunt in and of itself, you know? It's just sort of like... like, Not to cheapen it in any way whatsoever, but like, on the surface... 
there's no you've you've not talked about any sort of like thematic underpinnings behind the Scarecrow Festival. It's just like it's like it's con- it's a concept. It's high oh, concept. I'll work it in there. <laughs> you will work it in there, and that's something this movie doesn't do, which is why I relegate it to a screw it. In that, like, it's got a great concept, but it doesn't really do anything with it. it doesn't have anything to say about about society or human nature. It's and, saying it's saying reject modernity, embrace tradition. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll pack it in and, and go down to the to the spoiler room. Uh, if so, go watch Population Four Hundred Thirty Six if you're interested. After after those stellar reviews, uh, otherwise you can come down and we'll spoil everything. See you soon. Welcome back. We are down here in the spoiler room to talk about population 436. And why is the population 436? Because every time somebody new comes to the town, somebody's got to die. They got to maintain the population. They got to keep it at 436. They got to maintain the balance. And and how is this even communicated? I don't even know. How do they reveal these twists? Because we we know we know we know that people are being killed by the townsfolk. It, it, you know, Chris, I I I I rewatched like the last half of this, and I still can't really tell you how it's communicated. I mean, again, we have that opening sequence where it's communicated uh, both literally and abstractly at the same time. Because at that point that we're receiving the information, we don't know what this movie is going to be. Um, but we see a baby being born and somebody trying to leave town and dying. We slowly learn that there's like a there's a doctor who comes from a long lineage of of doctors in the town. People get this fever when they want to leave town. He calls it a fever and he tries to treat them to keep them from leaving. But sometimes he has to kill them because a stranger will come into town. There's a great there's a great scene with the doctor where the doctor is is Jeremy Sisto shows up at the doctor's office and he's looking for this girl who like was involved in, you know related to the guy who died in the cold open and she's like yeah. what an eleven year old girl or something and she is she is being held prisoner basically in this doctor's office and he comes in and the doctor's finishing up treating some woman who he's clearly lobotomized her because she's like in a trance yes. and she's got like a bloody nose and he's like and and jeremy sister's like oh what, what's wrong with her and he's like doctor patient privilege as he should hipaa i know you know <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a, i had a big question about that is that a thing like is that a term yeah hipaa that's what hipaa is but is but do they call it doctor patient privilege because i feel like i've heard of attorney client privilege but not doctor patient privilege they call it doctor patient confidentiality ah, okay. is the term you'll okay. typically hear but it's i mean same thing right same yeah. thing i understand yeah so so but then he goes in there and he's like so what can you tell me about this this 11 year old girl and the doctor's like oh she's crazy she's got schizophrenia <laughs> she's got this she's got that <laughs> i'm like wait a minute when, when you were just invoking hipaa and now you're just gonna spill all the dirt on this minor child's mental health well yeah because she is the girl whose dad dies in the crash at the beginning of the movie and who kind of loses it at his funeral saying like you know this doesn't have to happen or something along those lines oh god she didn't i don't remember but she didn't cry in the coffin did she no or break any of the other pog pog she went straight home okay oh fuck 
but she is spirited away to this, you know, treatment, quote unquote, center. I mean, really, that's the big twist or the spoiler, even more so than that they're, you know, killing people to maintain the perfect balance of 436 people. Almost the, the bigger twist or spoiler is that, you know, the fever is basically just what they call it when somebody breaks with the established order and says this is fucked mm-hmm. up i don't give a shit about the number 436 and then they get treated for fever which is what happens to this adorable little girl who jeremy sisto then gets invested in saving yeah and then there's there's the great actually legitimately my second favorite part of this movie was jeremy sisto consulting the bible and like these ancient numerology books to figure <laughs> out what's going on with 436 and yeah. he finds like some like ostensibly biblical list of like numbers that correspond with like like prayer verses or something and finds out that like four three and six correspond to like these chants about balance and everything that you've been hearing well there's like what's even funnier to me than that is just watching him do basic math with the numbers four three and six there's like an extreme close-up of him writing four plus three plus six equals 13 and then one plus three equals four it's like wow buddy you really had to write that out I like that. I liked. I wanted more of that. In this I movie. thought it was hilarious. <laughs> um, but then my favorite scene, because so basically he decides like, all right, I'm. I need to get the fuck out of this town. I don't really care about the mystery, but but I'm going. And then the uh, the love interest who is just doesn't have a lot of character to speak of. Man, I, I just it's not 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 a very strong character. Nah. Um, but she's you know kind of floats through the movie, and she's like take me with you because i'm in love with you because i'm the only woman in this movie and you're living in my house and he's like all right great and they're like we have to do it after the festival they're having a big festival and uh it's everyone's gonna be there and you should just gotta show up at the festival so they don't get suspicious and then we can leave together and they go to the festival and <laughs> there's this big fucking structure covered up oh with, it's fucking the, the end of sheet. dancer in the dark like it's <laughs> it's it's like it's it's like you think it's they're gonna unveil like a giant statue or a giant uh giant painting or something and and the the mayor goes up and he's like uh we have good news uh you know we have a new uh resident in our village and they're speaking of jeremy sisto who he he doesn't consider himself a permanent resident of this village but, right. but they do and then they say so now you know give it up for our festival princess or whatever the hell the the, the, the chairperson of the festival and they pull back the sheet and it's a fucking gallows and this woman who's like the homemaker of the year or whatever who just won the like drawing to be the, the festival chairperson they fucking hang her and she's she's like so happy that she's being hanged because she's helping protect the equilibrium and I thought that was a great scene. That was that was the only part of this movie that will I'll, I will remember in thirty minutes from now. It's very Midsummer. It's very yeah. Wicker Man. It's very The Lottery. And like Jeremy Sisto, that's like the first scene, maybe the only scene in the movie where I felt like he was really acting. Like he does his reaction of horror and being appalled by this is like really really kind of palpable oh, and striking. What? Oh, I disagree strongly. I thought. 
I thought Jeremy Sisto was fucking phoning it in this entire movie. As soon as she was hung, I was like, that is not how you react when this happens. Like, there was just no reaction at first. He went from, like, a zero on the dial to just fucking, like, 29,000. Just so over the top. Because he's in a crowd of people who are completely neutral watching this. And I think that maybe would affect your perception of such an event. Because it's, it's it's like how when a baby falls over, if you go, ooh, like, then the baby starts crying, even though it's not hurt. So, okay, at that point, he has been captured, electroshocked. And I not that point. Oh no, no he's not. No, that's really late. In oh, the okay. Movie. Well, then and at this oh, point, I was I was point, about to cut him some slack because I was going to be like, oh, he has to pretend to fit in more. But no, okay, never mind. I don't give him any more credit. For that scene. And he then, doesn't know what's going on. This is this is a revelation for him. It's that, stunning. Yeah. yeah. And then I think I think it slowly starts to sink in what happened, and he gets more and more agitated, and then he drops the only F-bomb in the movie. He's like, the fuck are you guys doing? And then he gets dogpiled like uh, like Morpheus by all the, the the riot cops in the bathroom <laughs> in the Matrix, and they take him away. So, Chris, were you surprised that someone died at that event, or just the way she died, or what surprised you? Because actually, that scene was not... that. I was like, okay, yep, that's what I thought was going to happen, basically. That's how I felt, too, Patrick. Um, well, the movie had been pretty slow going till that point. I wasn't expecting them to just straight up hang somebody in the, in the public square mm. so abruptly, I guess. And I was like, okay, we found our gear in this movie. What was your assumption when they were, when they first had the scene where that woman found out that she was, you know, the festival chair or whatever? Because as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, she's going to die. Oh, well, and I, she's excited I, well, about when it. They drew her name. I thought they were drawing somebody to die. But then he was like, congratulations to the to person's husband. And then the love interest character is like, so and so got elected, drawn to be the festival queen. It's a very good privilege maybe it'll be me someday (laughs) but there's that creepy old woman talking to him while he's observing the events and she kind of spills the beans without seeing exactly what's going to happen do you guys remember this the woman with like the the perpetual smile oh yeah yeah, he's he's like i don't know i don't remember the exact interaction but he's basically like what's going on here like what is this and she's like oh it's because of you because you're here now and i'm like okay well we're gonna see a death Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that. But then they immediately take him to the doctor's office and they start doing, you know, electroshock, lobotomy, whatever they whatever they're doing to him. Which and is extremely ineffective on him at least. Right. Maybe it's like they electroshock you and then and if that doesn't work then they lobotomize you. I don't know. But they shock him, but then that's when we get all this exposition where like everybody who's anybody in this town circles around him and they're like, "All right, let me take you back to 1888 and the fire of, you know, the blah, blah, blah. And so they tell him all about how there, you know, was a horrible fire or something. And then basically they decided that 463 was the, was the good population to have. And if you have more, you're asking for trouble from God. Um, and so that's what they do. They maintain the balance and everybody goes along with it because if you don't go along with it, you get lobotomized into complacency by mm-hmm. the good doctor and his his fake diploma from a diploma mill online <laughs> university. 
I have a question. Um, this is one of the mo- more bizarre moments of the movie to me, and I, I feel really dumb, but maybe it's the movie. But do, you, do y'all remember the scene, you know, wherever he's, you know, holed up in the, the doctor's compound when there's that, like, leave it to Beaver family yes. in, the, in the jail cell yes. having, yeah. having lunch together? Yeah. And they're notably dressed in, in garb that is like far advanced from anyone else in the town. Yeah, like 1960s, 50s kind of clothing. Maybe they're, maybe they're trying to modernize. Maybe that's a prototype family. They're working on a new program. Maybe. Could be, could be. I like that idea, but it just felt like it kind of kind of dropped in and out and like unceremoniously, and we're left with no time to think about the implications of it. Yeah, um, yeah. And they seem to only have a dining room. Like, they don't have bedrooms, they don't have a bathroom or anything. They're just, like, eternally eating, like, 50s-style lunch, you know, apple pie together. TV dinners. Blueberry muffins. Best blueberry muffins this side of the Mississippi River. (laughs) Is that so? That's what the mayor says, yeah. But Jeremy Sisto finds out that Bay has been lobotomized. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Which... Yeah, I don't know. That whole subplot was pretty cringe. And then this movie has a habit of like maybe the way you guys responded to the gallows scene, but like you know, Bay's been lobotomized, and they there's no real. It's not very deft how they reveal that. You basically just have Jeremy say, "So like, hey, come on, hey, hey, what's wrong?" And then you see like the lobotomy mark, and then you see her face. Yeah. She's like, "I I like being here now." And it's like, I don't know. I feel like it just uh, would have been a twist in a, a different movie that maybe hit a little harder. It would have been a twist if there was like any kind of build up to that twist, and there's not. Like, I don't really give a shit about that character, so yeah. I'm just like, okay, well, she's lobotomized. I don't know <laughs> when or how that happened, but that's where we are now. Dude, my favorite moment with that character was when uh, Jeremy Sisto like can't sleep, and he goes downstairs, and they run into each other in the kitchen, and she's like, oh, "Let me fix you something," and she makes him something that appears to just be like garlic and a glass of milk. and also says to him (laughs) something along the lines of who have you lost in your life i could see it in your eyes at dinner that you had lost someone and he's like well i lost my wife and kid it it's just oh man the line was so cringe the backstory for him was cringe the only time he would have revealed that during dinner is when he was asked by the host, like, do you have a wife or any kids? <laughs> so yeah. if she read something into his face, it's, it's kind of clear who he lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, the dialogue in this movie is, we haven't talked about that. It's fucking atrocious. I knew you were going to, yeah, I knew that was the, the word you were going to use. Yeah. It's some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in any movie. Yeah. It's bad. Oh my god. I mean, even early on before Jeremy Sisto gets to the town and he stops at a gas station, he's asking where the town is and the and the two people he encounters kind of, you know, sulk into the shadows. He just says seemingly to no one, Well, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> like we've never heard anybody make a joke about that line. There just happens to be a dog beneath his feet. We cut to that. But I was just like, oh, my God, really? Like, that's the best they could come up with? Like, why even include 
a rote routine joke like that. It's it's moment. it's the it's the uh, you know I don't like the Wizard of Oz that much, but it's like the old thing of like don't reference a better movie than the one that you're making. Mm-hmm. And this made me want to watch the made me want to turn it off and watch the Wizard of Oz. I did watch a bit of the Wizard of Oz after I stopped watching this. <laughs> wow, I, lo- I love that movie. Um, That's random. Yeah, but like I remember, he gets to the town and like the mayor greets him, and then the, as the mayor's saying him off on his way, he's like, "Well, remember, we're a town that takes its traditions very seriously, so be careful of that." And I'm like, "This is not anything anyone would ever say." Right. And is there no more interesting way that you can show me that the town has traditions it takes seriously? Fucking Resident Evil 4 does it better than that. <laughs> you, you you go to the village. It's like the first scene of the game. You go to the village and there's like people trying to kill you and you're running away from them. And then after a certain period of time, the church bell rings and everyone just like stops chasing you and like walks over to the church. That tells you all you need to know about the traditions in that town and that they're taken seriously. This director should have played Resident Evil 4. I don't know if we should blame the director. I actually found this movie maybe controversial take. There were a few moments in this where I was like, oh, this director knows what she's doing. Like, there's some interesting compositions. Yeah, a lot of it's bland, but there are a couple of moments where I was like, oh, that's that's a creative way to shoot this. Or, like, the, you went a little bit out of your way. And clearly, she's a very successful TV director. She's worked on Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Better Call Saul, like, anything you can think of. This was clearly her kind of trying to get her footing on feature filmmaking. Didn't seem to work out, but her career has paid dividends. Um, but the writing is really the problem with this. I mean, this feels like a first draft screenplay mm-hmm. on every level. I mean, in that scene that I referenced with Jeremy Sisto and Bay, because who, who the fuck knows what these characters names are? I don't remember. Courtney. That was Courtney, her name. There you go. Oh, of course. Where they're sitting at the dinner table at, you know, Oh, dark 30. It, to me, their expressions looked like people who were trying not to laugh at the material that they were reading. And I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure they were trying to put across some of their characters' mutual enjoyment in each other or whatever. But to me, it just looked like two actors trying not to laugh at bad dialogue. It was, it was bad. But anyways, Jeremy Sisto finds a, finds the secret way out of town. There's a police chase and he gets cornered by Officer Fred Durst and... An officer guy from Saw. Officer six. guy from Saw 6. And <laughs> Saw 6 is like, shoot him, shoot him. And Fred Durst, again, giving a commendable performance, I would say. Maybe still, still being the most likable character in the movie yeah, at this point. is just sweating there. He's got his finger on the fucking trigger. And after what seems like an eternity, he shoots Saw 6 and lets Jeremy Sisto and the little 11-year-old girl who had the quote-unquote fever get away. Mm-hmm. The end. Happy ending. Amazing, right? But all for naught, because they pet cemetery themselves and drive into a fucking semi-truck on their way out of town. Yeah, both the girl and our hero Jeremy Sisto have had a recurring nightmare that we've been told depicts the way that they're going to die if they try to leave the town. And... Again, it's like, so they're in a, and they're going to die in a truck. Like, I mean, I guess you can never escape fate, right? So you might as well just drive a truck if you have, if you're fated to die in a truck, because you'll still die in a truck, even if you don't get in a truck. 
that's what happened to Oedipus. There is a there is a literal line where Jeremy Sisto explains what a self fulfilling prophecy is, like ten minutes before this happens. <laughs> right, <laughs> but it's so puzzling because it introduces a certain supernatural element to all this. You know that essentially he's been having premonitions of his death throughout this film, and that indeed, as soon as he leaves the town. He is struck down by something that seems not to have been orchestrated by the leaders of the town. And it Mm -hmm. almost seems to reinforce the idea that this town is blessed by God and it is supposed to stay at population 436, which is a little mind boggling at this stage in the game. Yeah, they were right. They did nothing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know what? Uh, and and this is one of those things. This is kind of a Chris thing where I think I'm giving it more credit than it deserves. But the whole... Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. You know, when they're talking about this whole idea of the fever and the fever basically just being like, you don't believe in the central precepts of this community. And so you're going to be sent for treatment so that you get with the program. I mean, this may seem like almost reductive, I guess, but I just felt very much the way some people act about America, I guess, you know, where they're just like, Oh, you don't, you don't get it. Like, I feel like we're on the verge of that where people are like, Oh, you, you don't get America. You don't love America. Like let's reeducate this guy, you know? Oh, I'd rather die than live in that town forever. For sure. Oh yeah. Or if you do love America, we're going to reeducate you with uh, critical race theory. (laughs) 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 i kid i kid yeah i don't know i don't know i i really don't know what this movie's trying to say sure why not why not no i i am pretty sure that's not there (laughs) it just reminded me strongly of the way i don't know shit seems to be going these days i mean it's that's the thing yeah if you if you want to read into the ending then it's like because the townspeople end up ultimately i don't know if the movie intends to validate the townspeople like that but it certainly does yeah you know because it turns out yeah there's divine intervention at play in the form of a big fucking semi-truck we do meet some townspeople who are big questioners of of what's going on though Mm -hmm. um in particular uh jeremy sisto when he escapes after his electroshock treatment and winds up at a family's, you know, farmhouse. He meets the patriarch of the family who's like, hey, look, I came here. I don't believe this shit. But if you try to get out, you're going to die. You know, so he's like found a way to like make his peace with living within this awful system. I found that really interesting, but it doesn't really pay off. You know, yeah. it just feels like an interesting kernel of an idea that, again, maybe with a couple more drafts of a screenplay, a few more passes, we could have fleshed out some more themes here. I like that. I like that guy. I like the scene around that situation. I like the stuff with uh, Fred Durst's, you know, kind of moral dilemma. Um, And I wish that there had been more of that and that the movie were more about exploring the way humans behave and think in this kind of environment than it was just like Jeremy Sisto peeling apples and, you know. (laughs) 
<laughs> that apple peeling scene was egregious. Doing that, I, I LOL'd at that. And it's like he's you know he's a he's a city slicker from Chicago, and she's like, "You ever eat an apple before?" He's like, "No, <laughs> you ever peel an apple? Try it." <laughs> he's like, he, oh, "I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> oh my god, talk about bad dialogue. Stray thought here. Somebody asks him like he's he's like, "So you ever been?" I think it might be that scene. So he's like, "So you've ever been to Chicago?" And she's like, "No. What's what's it like?" And he's like, "Well, we have the four seasons." Winter, 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 and Fourth of July. Fourth of like, July. I'm like, that, God damn! What a fucking basic, stupid ass line to write in a movie. You that speaks have... to what Patrick was saying. That Fourth of July is in there for a reason. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a stretch, but uh, themes it's possible themes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're 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 spinning our wheels. I do have to just for you guys. We we don't have to include this necessarily, um, but there's one line in this movie that made me laugh out loud both times I saw it because I happened to catch it on my rewatch. So do you remember Curly, the kid in the the yeah. like the the supply shop who's who's not a hundred percent as the, the shop owner says, um, and he he attacks Jeremy Jeremy Sisto. Um, later, when Jeremy Sisto comes back and he's like figured everything out, Curly just like stares at him for a while and he's like welcome to the town and the the shop owner just like very <laughs> like surreptitiously says no curly that was a few days ago <laughs> like, <laughs> and i laughed so hard because it's like the kid has forgotten that he tried to kill this character before <laughs> the shop owner is just like so used to how much this kid fucks up mm-hmm. that was genuinely funny to me mm-hmm. well they they all kind of have a script and that brings us actually to the last scene of the movie because the last scene of the movie after our hero and the the innocent little girl just gets run over by a big truck um we see Jeremy Sisto's coworker from the Census Bureau, who was in yeah. one other scene. It's like <laughs> <laughs> just the way they did this is ridiculous because <laughs> they're like, we see after Jeremy Sisto is like getting reprogrammed, he says like you can't do this to me. People come looking for me. And they're like, ah, that's where you're wrong, buddy. We thought of that. And then it cuts to Chicago and like a stock footage of an office building. And we see this guy <laughs> we've never seen before. Who's Jeremy Sisto's coworker. <laughs> and he's opening an envelope. That's like, dear Bob, I've decided to spend the rest of my life here. This is a great town. Don't come looking for me. Your friend, Jeremy Sisto. There's a picture of him and yes, like, and Courtney like, hugging. I liked that, actually. I loved that. I like that. But he's out of sight, out of mind until the very end of the movie when he pulls up in a car and gets a flat tire in the exact same spot Jeremy Sisto got a flat tire and, and gets flagged down by the same exact deputy who flagged down, or, or another deputy. No. no, it's Fred Durst. No, it's not Fred Durst. It's not. No, because it's it's another it's another deputy. It's the third deputy because oh. he says he says yeah my my other deputy is, is getting oh, married right. to the love of his life. Oh, lobotomized right. Courtney. Right, right. But you know, so so the cycle is going to repeat, and now this no name census worker who was coworkers with Jeremy Sisto is going to end up going through the same shit. It's implied, but I just wanted them to throw me a bone. <laughs> I wanted this guy. I want it to be like the end of The Departed, where this guy shows up and the sheriff is like, "Yeah, you know, we'll take you into town. You know, you can leave your things in your car. We're a real <laughs> honest bunch." And then the census guy would be like. 
I don't fucking believe you. Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Shoots him. <laughs> or to bring it full circle to our pre-review chat, I wanted it to be more like Get Out. Like he's like the friend on the outside who's like worried about his friend yeah. who's in this town, and he shows up and yeah. makes things right. Yeah, he that shows up been at amazing. the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they got him pinned down on the on the on the bridge. The two cops, and then just a big van runs the uh, Fred Durst over and it's a U.S. <laughs> census van. God, I would love to see a van run Fred Durst over in any Boom. context. But <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's kind of one of those same old shit kind of endings where it's almost setting up a sequel like this could happen again. But also, it's so funny because because of the title of this movie, you, you can't have a sequel. You can't call a movie Population 436 two and you can't call it population 437 <laughs> no because the population's be, not going to change it would be like two two uh two weeks later or, or is it, what the fuck am i thinking of 28 Tw- weeks 20, later yeah 28 days later versus 28 weeks yeah. later you have a population four four thousand sixty three uh, six hundred thirty two so it's four sixty three two. Oh, oh. <laughs> now there's ten times as many people in the town. <laughs> oh, but if man. you've seen Population four thirty six, and there's a movie coming up called Population four thirty seven, and you're already you know you're going to see the sequel because you've seen the first movie, you're like, oh wow, this is going to get interesting because the population has increased. We gotta we gotta double down on the. There's on one the, more the, person the, in this town. I gotta know how this plays out. <laughs> I'll just write my movie with the census takers and checking out the Scarecrow Festival, and then at the better end, movie. And when the census oh, guy yeah. runs over the villain at the end or whatever, he'll get out, and the guy will say, "Thanks, thanks, coworker. I knew I could count on you." <laughs> <laughs> well, God damn it! Wow. Should we put Owie. this? Should we put this movie's neck in the noose and hang it as it smiles beatifically? Beatifically, I love that. Yes, we should. Well, someone asked me what we're watching next time. Yeah, Patrick, your turn to pick. What the hell are we watching next time? <laughs> well, I have a bit of a proposal for you, gentlemen. An indecent oh, proposal, God. if you oh, will. God. Are we watching Indecent Proposal? Oh, I wish I that was on Netflix. <laughs> every erotic thriller on Netflix? Well, That's the show I'm going to start. I mean, it's funny you say that because technically we are kind of breaking the formula, breaking from our normal, normal genre with my pick for next episode the movie we're gonna watch if you if you guys approve it if you're okay with this because obviously this goes against the rules i don't like where this is going at all haven't you learned anything <laughs> all right, all right. from the last two movies from the last two movies we watched haven't you learned anything about transgressing the rules <laughs> <laughs> all right yes I, I bear with me though we'll do the pog pog before and after we watch this movie but it's not in the horror category on netflix the movie i want to watch if y'all are down is twilight no yeah i mean you got a vampire and you got a werewolf what more do you need i mean if there's right if there's a vampire movie that wouldn't be included in the horror category that'd be it that'd be the one they put booth Noth in the fucking horror category right but not twilight put twilight in the horror category Uh, absolutely yeah i'm not disagreeing with you i saw that the whole franchise was on netflix i have seen the last two or three i think but i've never actually seen at least the first two you've not seen the og i've not seen the og and i'm so curious too 
oh, I you're gonna have a blast. It's amazing. It's so fun. It, it's just a hoot a minute. It's so wild and crazy and stupid and over the top. Oh my god. Well, with that reaction, that endorsement, I'm so much more excited now. It's gonna be wild. We're gonna have to cut a lot out, I'm sure, but um, that'll be great. We'll, okay, we'll be here next time. We're gonna be glittering. Oh, we'll be sparkling for sparkling. sure. Sparkling—that's right. the term. God damn it! Sparkling, glittering. glittering. I love glittering is a verb, though. We're gonna be glittering instead. I'm gonna Fuck use sparkling. <laughs> glittering is the new no, sparkling. No. All right. Well, that's our show. As always, you know, reach out to us online at hashtag at Amoncast. Uh, that's our handle on the social media networks that matter. So check us out. Leave us a message. Tell us what you thought of Population 436. And, you know, would you watch Population 437? Or Population 4362. Yeah. Like Patrick said, you know, leave us a review on, on your podcast service of choice. We always like that. And we need to get our star rating up to a more blessed number with solid numerology not this 4.5 shit it's a it's a bad bad verse uh but that's all we got for you so join us again in two weeks when we t- discuss the i mean how the superlative i don't even know how you describe it, a titanic film renowned most titanic romance film acclaimed since titanic but we're gonna be watching twilight so join us in two weeks for twilight <laughs> um, and until then for every horror movie on netflix i'm chris i'm glittering I'm Steven. See you next time.